We started the, the year, this year, with a theme and, and it was Isaiah 43:19, and we talked about going into the new. And, and we had Vision Sunday at the start of the year and we talked about going into the new and at that point we didn't know what the new was but we knew that God was calling us into the new. As the year has unfolded, um, we've certainly seen that. And Isaiah 43:19 says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And I want to continue to encourage us and take us back to that place where we've had a a year where we've been through things that have been totally unexpected, but we can actually stand here now and we can actually look forward into what is more unknown, knowing that God will continue to make a way. He will make a pathway through the wilderness. He will make a pathway through those things that think, oh, how am I going to get through this? It's hard work. It's hard going. Well, you know what? He will make a pathway in front of you. He will make streams in the wastelands. Where you think there isn't provision, where you think there's not enough, he will actually pour out into those places. So let's grab hold of that. But as this year has unfolded in many unexpected ways, it's brought new challenges and new opportunities. If it's taught us anything, I think that it's how to be pliable, flexible and adaptable. Who's had to be flexible this year? Who who enjoyed homeschooling? Who who, Who was good at homeschooling? Pliable, flexible and adaptable. There was a, a Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, he said, change is the only constant in life. Change is the only constant in life. It's a bit like that other saying, isn't it, that you can know, know two things for sure, there will be death and there will be taxes. Is that encouraging to you this morning? But, but, you know, change is constant. And we know that and we get it, but sometimes when we're in it, we're saying, why are, why are things changing? What's wrong here? You know, I, I thought it was going to be like this forever, but nobody ever promised it would be the same forever. Um, nobody ever said, you know, everything you're in now is just going to be like that. Change is constant. And, and Paul addresses this when he's writing to the Romans. And they were challenged to think in new and different ways in a very strong and a pretty destructive culture. And he says this in Romans 12 verse 2, and, and this is key verse for this morning, so if you want to underline it in your Bibles or highlight it in your, in your devices, it is Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So what Paul's saying, in other words, if we're not transformed by the new, we're going to conform to the old. If we're not transformed by the new, we're going to conform to the old. Who's ever started something, and you know, a new campaign, a new regime? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to get fit, or I'm going to watch less TV. All these things that we think that would be a, a good new me. And we start... And, and, and it's all right for a little bit, but somehow we find ourselves conforming to a pattern that we were living in before. Who's been there? Don't have to put up your hands, but, but we all know that thing, don't we? And, and what Paul's saying, if you are not 
transformed by the new, you inadvertently, you actually almost have no choice, you will conform to the old. So this year, as we've been called to go into the new, we're actually called to be transformed. Because if we don't go into the new, and we're not transformed by the new, we will actually find ourselves being conformed to the old. If change is constant, here's a question for you. How are we changing? Because we're all changing, but how are we changing? Or look at it this way, what are you changing? Are you changing, are you changing things around you or are you changing things within your sphere of influence? What are you changing? If we're not transformed, we're conformed. So to be transformed is to be changed. And the definition I read of transformed just said to change in form, appearance or structure. Change in form, appearance or structure. But conform is to become similar in form, nature or character. So here's another question. Do we want dynamic change or do we want passive change? Because I think there is a sense of what Paul's talking about here. He says, you know what, the change he's talking about is dynamic. It's actually changing into something that is new, something that makes a difference, something is exciting, or, or there can be this sort of passive change which is actually the course of least resistance and you just find yourself conforming to an old pattern. And last week we looked at what it takes to have a big heart and a big spirit. And it says in Ezekiel 36:26, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And, and basically that is the miracle of conversion. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, there is this miracle that takes place where, where he says, you know what, you, you, had this, you had this hard heart, you had this heart that was... That, that had a, like, this sort of hard crust around it because it had to protect itself in a tough, rough, you know, cruel world and you had this hard heart that's almost like nobody can get into. And the miracle of conversion is God says, you know what, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to put one in that is pliable and flexible and is able to receive what I have and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to give you a, a, a different sort of feel and demeanour and, and that is the miracle of conversion. And Spurgeon says, true religion begins then with the heart. And the heart is the ruling power of manhood. You may enlighten a man's understanding and you have done much, but as long as his heart is wrong, the enlightenment of understanding only enables him to sin with a greater weight of responsibility. Wow. In other words, if you get a whole lot of knowledge, you get it and you understand it, but if you don't get a heart change, actually nothing actually changes in the way that you live and the way that you conduct yourself and the way that you function. And Paul is saying you have this new heart and spirit, but if you're not continually renewed, well then you will find yourself conformed to a hard world. In other words, at conversion you've got a new heart, you've got a new spirit, but if you are not continually transformed, you will actually find yourself conforming to the way you were before. Listen to the way that the J.B. Phillips writes this. 
of Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, in other words, thinking about it, engaging your mind, as an act of intelligent worship, give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable to him, Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds from within so that you may prove in practice the plan of God for... The plan of God for you is good and meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. And, And I think we often make the mistake of... Living based on feelings or, or, or we're only concerned about doing. So, living on feelings, that's, as emotional beings, that's sort of quite understandable, isn't it? Like, like I, I feel good today, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually going to go and do something nice to somebody. I feel good today, I'll, 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 I'll I'll go and say hello to my neighbour who I don't normally talk too much. I'll, I'll, actually, I'll actually do something because I feel good. Or, or, or you wake up another day and it's like, oh, I just feel dreadful today, for want of a better term. So you don't do it. That person that actually needs encouragement doesn't get it because you feel rotten. We get that. How do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my wife? How do I feel about the worship this morning? How do I feel about the preacher? All those things actually impact on how we engage and and, and the decisions that we actually make. And and then doing actually just says, hey, don't, don't try and take me on this whole journey of transformation. You know, just give me the dot points. Just give me the minimums and I'll get it done. Have you ever felt like that? No, I don't want all the palaver. Just, 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 just get down to it. In other words, Dave, don't, don't do all this big introduction. Don't go on. Just give me the three dot points. We can get this and then we can all go home. <laughs> Some of you are saying, yeah, come on, bring it on. Why do we do all the palaver? <laughs> because, you know, it, it, is actually, it is actually about the heart and the emotion and the mind and the spirit. We've actually got to engage with all those things if we're going to see God bring about change. Sometimes we just don't have the inclination to have our minds renewed. The other day at home, we've got a, we had a fish pond in our front yard. And... and uh, it's, it's one of the true miracles of, of creation that, that we never feed these fish, we never show any interest in them, but they remain there, they swim around and I actually think they're breeding. I, I come back sometimes and, and to, a lot of the time you can't see them because the water is green <laughs> and, and I think that's good for them because they can sort of hide under there and, and they, they, they just sort of mind their own business. So it's anyway, they, they're getting up the stuff and, 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 and they're breeding and all sorts of things are going on in that fish pond. And, but the other day I, I thought, okay, something needs to be done about this. So I went and put the hose in the fish pond, turned it on, 
and, and just let it run slowly into the pond. I walked away and didn't think about the fish, didn't think about the pond, wasn't something that was on my mind. Came back and the fish pond is just beautiful and clear. And I'm looking in there and, and looking right into the world of those fish. And, and, and I could see them and I could see the, the, the clarity of the pond and it looked totally different. What was it? It was all it took. All it took was some fresh water just running into that pond, not having to run very fast, but just dribbling into that pond and it brought a renewing and a refreshing to that pond over time. And this is what Paul's talking about. He says, if you are, if you do not allow the Spirit of God to be actually continually feeding into your life, that is actually what brings transformation. It's not always just about, oh, the wow moment. Oh yeah, I stood up, I put my hands up in church or somebody prayed for me and and bam. You know, we need those moments because sometimes they've got to break something. But that is not what brings permanent change. The only other place Paul uses this word transform in his writings is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says this, and it says, And all, and we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Or, Or the New King James Version puts it this way, it says, But we all with unveiled faces... Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. For Paul, this transformation and this renewing takes place as we contemplate or behold the face of God. Or, put it this way, spending time in his glory. So how how can we live transformed rather than conformed? Well, number one, and and if you're writing this down, this is is Bible speak, this is not contemporary language, and I'll, I'll explain it. Behold his glory. Behold his glory. Who goes around saying, behold? You know, like your, your husband comes home after a, a hard day at work, he walks in and you go, behold! <laughs> I've been waiting, behold! <laughs> Come on, someone try it this week. Might transform your marriage. It's not an everyday word, is it? And, and the NIV uses contemplate. And beholding, the word means more than a casual look. It means to make careful study of. You know, I've beheld cars, motorbikes, boats, bicycles. You know, how do I do that? I take in the detail. You see, I I will look at a car and Alex would sort of look past the car and and in in, in just that that moment of glancing at a car, I can tell you... I can tell you a lot more information about that car than she can. She can, might be able to tell you what colour it was 
Uh, but but I, I can tell you mostly the, the make of it. I can tell you, you know, a bit about it. I can tell you what type of car it was. And, and I'm not as good as I used to be. But, you know, once I could tell you all the minor and major differences in nearly every Ford Falcon ever made from XL to FG. Oh, I can tell you all that and all the differences in these minor things and major things. And even though I wasn't a Holden person, I could tell you most of those too. How did I do that? Because when I looked at them, I beheld them. I made careful study of them. We can be transformed by the glory of the Lord, but only if we carefully study it. Think about it this way. Compare the glory of God, and I'm going to expand and talk about what glory actually means in a minute. But compare the glory of God with some of your own glories. I used to love getting together with with old mates and telling stories and reliving the glory days. Reliving, you know, the crazy stuff that we'd all done and and talking about these stories that that never became embellished over time and and just, you know, reliving those things. And it's a bit of fun. Um, But after a while, I just sort of thought, I used to, after a while, it sort of gets boring. I mean, how many times can you tell the same people the same stories? And it's like, it's like sportsmen and, and, you know, really sadly we lost a, a famous cricketer this week. But it's like sportsmen that make a living out of telling and retelling their glory days at sports nights and, and corporate functions. Well, good on them, that's great. I'm not criticising that. But you know what, it's, it's like all we're doing is we're, we're reliving something that happened back then and we're, we're, we're trying to capitalise on something that happened when then. And it's a good, it's a bit of fun, it's enjoyable, but it's not taking us into the future. You know, we can, we, we can get, we can, we can invite, um, we can, we can invite people in, we can have Alan Border here and, uh, and you know, we could have, have David Hawkes and we'd have all these people reliving the, the stories, but it's not going to make you and I play better cricket, is it? See, unlike my glory days, that was yesterday, the glory of God is not fading. See, our glory, and I'll unpack this a minute, our glory is almost a fading thing. You know, I can, I can tell you, I've talked about cars and I can relive all the silly things that we did in cars and all that, you know, and that's a fading glory. In fact, it's just about all forgotten. But the glory of God is not fading. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 3, 7, 8 says. It says, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face for his face shone with the glory of God. Now, now the reason that Moses' face was shining is that he had been in the literal presence of God. 
You see, he, he was there leading the people and when God wanted to, to talk to him and wanted to impact him and wanted to bring transformation to Moses so that he could actually lead those people, he actually said, hey, come away with me, come up on this mountain and he was actually in the literal presence of God and when he came back to the people, he actually had to wear a veil over his face because they were freaked out because his face was shining so much But they were even more freaked out, not by the fact that his face shone, but after he had been in the presence of God and was not in that literal place anymore, the glory that was reflected through his face actually disappeared. So what he would do is he would wear a veil so that the people felt more secure because they didn't quite know when he'd been with God and when he hadn't and they didn't actually see the impact of that fading glory. And it says, even though the brightness was already fading away, listen to this, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is living in you? Wow. You see, if we're like that, like that hose running into that pond where we are in constant connection with God and the Holy Spirit, there is a glory of God that shouldn't be fading from us. It should always be there and it should be part of our demeanour and who we are because of that connection with God. So, so how can we live transformed rather than conformed? I, I think number two, we've got to expect his glory. You know, we can, we can read the Old Testament and we can think about those things, but we've actually got to expect that when we spend time in the presence of God, it's not like, oh yeah, that was cool, but you know what, that his glory would actually be part of us and would impact our lives in a way that transforms us. How can we be transformed rather than conformed? I think number three, we've got to understand his glory. And, and I think often glory is a word that Christians say, isn't it? You know, our great friend, Greg Jones, I sent him a text message and his answer is, in capital letters, glory. glory. <laughs> and it's like, what are you saying, Greg? Well, 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 the Hebrew word for glory is kavod and it means importance, weight, deference or heaviness. Kavod actually sort of means It actually means glory, of course, in our language, respect, honour and majesty. We sang that song this morning, majesty. It's weighty, it's heavy, it's really substantial, it talks of prosperity, it talks of the fact that it should be able to be seen and felt. You see, we need to see his glory. How can we see the glory of God? Well, number one, study his word because you will read and you will see the glory of God as you study his word. Look at creation. Just look around you. Here we go, the obligatory cycling story. Yesterday, as I, as I was riding back from, from down in the Huon and, and, and back, back sort of... Um, from Ranelagh, you know, the, there's this amazing view where you're looking at, you know, if you like, the southwest side of, of Wellington and the Wellington Ranges there, and it's just absolutely, you know, it's magnificent. And, and, and you see Cathedral Rock, and you see all this absolutely cool stuff when you're looking at there, and, and, and you, know, you can say that's cool, or you can say, wow. The glory of God just there in that moment for us to all take in. Look at his people. 
Look at these people. I look, I look around here. There's Janelle on the front row. Janelle's been on the screen and on the front row and here. In fact, I think she is the Holy Spirit. She's omnipresent. But, but you know, Janelle smiles and everybody feels good, don't they? She has got a, an amazing gift. You know, what's that? It, it, she has been created in the image of God and, and, and the glory of God is on her and that actually encourages us all. No pressure there, Janelle. <laughs> Look at his people. We need to feel his glory. How do, how do we feel the glory of God? Because it's not something you just read about or hear Greg Jones say glory. It, it's something that, that, that actually should be felt. You know, when, 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 we, when we worship, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not about us, it's about God because we're lifting him up. But, but in that place of worship, when we engage with that, we actually, we actually start to feel the glory of God. When we pray, we sort of go into that place where, where it's not just something that we see, we're actually experiencing and feeling it. And not every time you do that, there are times you pray and you don't feel anything. But, but I think we should push in and engage in a way that we, that we actually feel the weightiness of the glory of God on us. Sometimes we need, just need to linger a little. Who likes that word linger? You know, it, it's, just, it's just staying a bit longer. It's interesting, isn't it? I've been talking about Moses. But the guy that took over from Moses is a guy called Joshua. And Joshua was Moses' servant. And, and, and he, he was sort of in that same tent, in that same area, being his assistant. And we're told that, that Joshua would actually linger. He would stay a little longer than he needed to. He actually wanted to be around Moses and, and around you know, where, 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 where the manifest presence of God was and he actually lingered in that place and he started to experience it and understand it which is why he became an incredible military leader and was able to do what Moses couldn't do and actually get his people into the nation that they were called to do. Why? Because he understood the glory of God because he didn't just rush off from it, he lingered in that place. How can we live transformed rather than conformed. I, I, think, I think we've got to receive his glory. In Exodus 33 it says this, it says, Then Moses, this is a, a conversation between Moses and God. And God. It's funny the things that, that go through your, your mind. When I read this I thought of Jerry Maguire. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. That's that movie, right? show me the money. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And if you, if you sort of read that, that in context and the stuff around them, you sort of see these two conversations. It's like God's speaking to Moses and he's on this plane and Moses is talking to God and he's on that plane. Ever been in one of those conversations? Husbands and wives sometimes have those conversations. <laughs> like, oh, gee, um, I'm hungry. Let's, 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 let's start to cook some dinner. And, 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 and Alex is, is talking about, about something else and we're, we're on different planes. And Moses... 
He's asking for security, favour and authority and to be set apart from the other nations. So it's stuff about his leadership. And, and then, and then God, God actually talks to Moses. He says, oh, I'm pleased with you. And he talks about smiling, smiling on him. And, and he talks about grace and goodness and mercy. And, and listen to what it says in Psalm 84 verse 11. It says, For the Lord God is our sun, our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. And, and I think this is why I'm really pushing into this understanding, the glory of God. I think glory actually sits between grace and goodness, if you read that psalm. It says, it says that, you know, he gives us grace and glory and then the Lord will withhold no good thing from those that do right. It's like this, this glory sits between grace and goodness. We receive his glory through grace. In other words, you come into the presence of God because you have been forgiven and you've been set free by the grace of God. Nothing that you could do. No amazing thing about you. It's just that God loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die for you and that is grace. And that grace enables you to come into the presence of God and when you're in the presence of God, you are exposed and you are a recipient of his glory, his heaviness, his weight, his prosperity, his majesty is actually upon you and when you've you've been in that place, what is the outflow of that is the fact is goodness. You know, if we as a church are called to do good, it's not because we're just good people, it's because we actually have received the grace of God, we actually come into his presence and he puts his anointing on us, he puts his majesty, his glory, his authority, his prosperity. Why? So that we can have a big party? No, but so that we can go and do good. We can do good. Kavod, glory, respect, honour, majesty, dignity, riches, authority, fame. That's what glory actually means. And when God puts his kavod on you, he's actually putting those things on you. He's actually putting respect, honour, majesty, dignity, riches, authority, fame actually upon you. He gives us authority. When he puts his glory on us, you don't need a title. You don't need to be Dr. Pastor Reverend Dave. I can just be Dave. Isn't that right, Dave Miller? <laughs> when he puts his cavite on us, we're given influence. When he puts his cavite on us, we walk in the goodness of God. So, a little Christianese word, glory. I want to encourage us to get familiar with the glory of God. Not over familiar, because I don't think we can ever get over familiar. There should always be that wow. You know, just as, as I, I told that little story of, of, of riding back up through the hue and in that view. And I've seen that lots of times, but every time I see it, I get that wow. Every time you come into the presence of God, it is so new, it is so exciting that you get that wow every time. 
but we need to understand it, we need to be familiar with it. Sometimes we think, oh, why doesn't this stuff work? You know, why, 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 haven't, I, why haven't we as, as his people, why don't we get respect, why don't doors open, why don't these things happen? And, you know, it's, but, but I think sometimes we've got to understand that if the glory of God is upon us, we can actually be so much more relaxed because he actually goes before us and he does the work, he opens doors, he gives us authority, he gives us fame, not like a wow, look at me fame, but hey, those guys are famous because the goodness of God actually rests upon them. They're able to love people and not need anything back. They're able to give people respect and dignity when everybody else is judging them. How does that come? It comes through understanding the glory of God. If the team want to join me, please, we'll conclude in just a minute. I think when we walk in his glory, when we understand what it means to be in that, that goodness will be who you are and it will flow from you. Did you know what? I've, I... A long time ago, I got sick of trying to be good. Doesn't work for me. <laughs> Does not work for me. I can remember really clearly getting into a lot of trouble in about grade seven or eight or something like that. And it, was, it wasn't just the normal trouble you get at school. It had ramped up to the next level where you know, my parents got called and that sort of stuff went on. And, and I got in a lot of trouble. I was in trouble at school and I was in trouble at home. And, and I, remember, I remember going to school one morning after getting into trouble at home and thinking, I'm going to be good today. And back then at high school, I don't know what they do now, but we used to start, we used to start the day with what they called class teacher period. In other words, it was just a little time where you did really nothing and you, you, were, you were in your own home group where you got organised to go wherever and normally a lot of trouble would happen in that sort of time because there was no focus. I, I, I remember, I walked through the door into class teacher period and I'd only been in there 10 seconds and I was walking out the door and straight up to the principal's office. That was the day I was trying to be good. I'm not good by nature. You know what I need? I need a lot of things. But you know what? I need, I need the glory of God. I need to spend time in his presence and understand that because of his mercy, even a rat bag like me can be a recipient of the grace of God and actually can come into his presence and can actually understand that being in that place, in his glory, his majesty, his authority, actually gives me, it gives me a heart, it gives me a good heart. It gives me authority, it gives me influence, it enables me to do the things that he's called me to do. And as recipients of his grace, let's not just remain recipients of his grace, in other words, living with like the free meal ticket. Let's take another step. And I'm asking some of you to take a step this morning. 
Not, 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 not a step just onto the train. <laughs> not, a, not a step where you understand what it, what it means to, to receive grace. That is amazing in itself. But let's take a step into the presence of God where we actually behold who he is. And, and some of the problem is, you know, where, where it says we need to behold the face of God. Well, I think some of the problem is that he doesn't behold our face because we keep our face turned away because it's almost like it's too intense and we, we don't want to come into that place. Let me tell you, he, he loves you so much. He understands you so much. He's not going to embarrass you. He's not going to, he's not going to want to berate you. He just wants you to be able to look to him and actually receive his glory, his goodness. His fame, His majesty, His authority, His prosperity, just to receive it. And the glory of the Lord will be upon you.